Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! This is the Weekend Answer. Garrett Faye, Jim Righeimer talking about the biggest stories of the week. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening wherever you are, in your car, at home, out and about on the podcast. We're glad you're with us. Talking about a lot of stuff this week, including coronavirus. What is it doing internationally, at home and locally? What does it mean for the stock market, for our politics? We'll talk about that. Also, Joe Biden starting to run away with the Democratic nomination for president. He cleaned up on Tuesday in some more primaries. And going to talk about some local issues, including Prop 13, Faye. Interesting cases out of the Supreme Court. They're hearing arguments that are fundamentally going to change the law, including on some immigration laws. Then we'll end the show like we always do with good news. But Riggy, big week, obviously, for the coronavirus. A lot of things being canceled. Trump weighing in. This is having a huge impact. And I think people are starting to realize this thing is not just going to be contained to Europe. This is blowing up everywhere. It's going to impact everything. Well, I mean, the, the actual numbers aren't. You've got 330 million people. The the numbers of, of how many people have it and who's going to get it is actually very low. But what they're trying to do in the end here is uh, the, the comment was made sooner or later, everybody kind of gets it. Either they're going to have a vaccine or over time, everybody's going to get it. What they want to do is make that over time a long time. And so that you don't over over impact the hospitals, you don't swamp the hospitals. So right now, I mean, my goodness, basketball is over. I mean, just shut down. I guess the NCAA is going to have their their games, but their games will be just with family and friends can come or family and close friends. And that's going to be it. Um, and we're going to see it all the way through. we got baseball coming up here. Yeah, that's 50,000 people in the stadium. So what they're really trying to do is, as they say, bend the curve, slow this thing down enough to get time to get it uh, into the summertime when it slows down, you know, supposedly, naturally, those kind of things in there. But, man, we are in a, into a different world. Here's Trump this week talking about it. My fellow Americans, Tonight, I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. 
This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that MSNBC is blowing up on going crazy is about this is a foreign disease and he should look at this as the world and it's not. Well, no, excuse me. It is a foreign disease. It started in China. It started in what's called the wet markets, basically, and I've been to China, where animals are slaughtered in the store, that where, where animals are put in cages that are stacked on top of each other, where they have feces and urine dripping on top of them, and they have a virus, and the virus all of a sudden gets over to a person, and the person expands from that. Trump stopped that from happening, uh, having Chinese people come over here when they all said that he was a, a, a racist. Europe did not. And so now Europe has a problem. They've looked at the numbers, and they're showing the new pockets are coming from people who have traveled to Europe. So he's saying we're going to shut that down. The MSC, MSNBC crowd is going nuts about, oh, we need to be working together and not beating up on anybody. We're not beating up on anybody. We're just saying the obvious. You know what? We, until we know you have the disease, you're not coming in. Here's more from Trump. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. So what he announced, big picture, was three, basically three parts of a plan. Number one, he's going to suspend travel from Europe of Europeans. He forgot to mention that part. Right. He, they're going to cut down on some trade issues, but trade will keep going. And then he announced some economic measures. He wants to deal with the payroll tax, maybe let people file their taxes later. And then there's going to be more loans from the Small Business Administration to impacted businesses. And Riggy, I think this bumps up against several sort of functions of government, and yet you don't want to allow the government to run crazy, but everyone thinks in time of crisis the government should step up. So we're not saying there isn't a role, but the question is how long will the role last? How is it going to be policed? And then what are we going to do to make sure it doesn't become permanent? Yeah, so there's a couple things in here. Now, cost of money is very cheap right now for the government to borrow money. It would be de minimis cost. The thing that the government has to figure out with business, and this is going to be extremely hard to do, is what businesses are being impacted because there's just no revenue. That you have a factory and you're not selling a product right now because there's no revenue coming in. What you do not want is that factory to fall apart and go into bankruptcy because it just has a, a revenue issue right now. Now, businesses, let's say like the fracking industry, uh, that they, they basically have overfracked. They've, they've been drilling too much. They can't sustain their prices. You know, some of those those companies are going to go out of business, and they're going to have to um, be absorbed by other companies, and and that'll happen. But if you're in a business, you know, if you're if you're making Boeing jets, you don't want to all of a sudden have a company go bankrupt, and then all of a sudden we don't make jets anymore, and it take you know going through the bankruptcy court takes two or three years. You want to see, see how you can keep it up. The problem's going to be is how do you make that distinction? That's going to be the tough part. Yeah, and, and there's two realities here. One is you always have economic fluctuations. These come and go, and one of the things Trump was trying to reinforce this week and his people were trying to set forth is, look, this is not going to be permanent. Our economy is fundamentally strong, and so there have been viruses. There will be. We will get through this, but what you're saying is important is 
if someone is being impacted to the point of going out of business because of a temporary shock from the coronavirus, you would think maybe there's a government role there. On the other hand, if a business was on the verge of failing beforehand and this was just a little nudge that pushed them over – then, as part of a normal, healthy capitalist system, you don't want to prop up businesses that weren't making it anyway. Correct, correct. And, and one of the, I'll tell you, one of the things out there that, that drives me crazy, it happens every time there's a hurricane, they have these laws against, you know, over-gouging people for different products. Yeah, price products. gouging. Price gouging. They go on and on, and the whole public agrees with that everything's fine. And, but, but on the news the other day, they talked about how they have a shortage and the price is, go, is not going up. You know, they're, 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 they're keeping the price down. If you want to get rid of a shortage, let the price go up. I mean, nobody wants to admit that. I mean, I'm not saying uh, – but, but in Florida, when there's the hurricane coming in and all the gas stations have no gas, you know, at $10 a gallon, you might not fill it up. You might say, hey, I need five gallons to get out of here. Um, and everybody can get some gas then. But if you go ahead and, and uh, um, let, let, let it just go, then it's just all gone. All those masks that people hoarded, raise the price of the mask from $0.50 cents to 3 or $4. You're not going to buy a few hundred of them if you don't need them just to go store them somewhere. Yeah, and part of what's going on too is people are going and buying supplies, which there's a prudent aspect to that. You know, m- My wife and I have done that. We bought the masks. We bought the water. We bought the toilet paper. But on the other hand, you want to say, okay, what do we actually need? What should we be doing? And then you don't want to create panic. I mean, this last week at Costco, stuff is flying off the shelves. And the question is, do people need all this stuff? Or is this just a freak out? Yeah. How, how, how many you know, 12 packs of, of toilet paper do you really need? Well, a- a- in my family, a lot. <laughs> all right. We come back on the weekend answer more on the coronavirus. How is this impacting the presidential race? How's Joe Biden doing? What is next for Bernie Sanders? We'll tell you when we come back. All right, everyone, welcome back. Garrett Faye, Jim Righeimer. We are The Weekend Answer. We're at weekendanswer.com. Also on uh, Facebook, if you want to yell at us, send us some mean comments. We'd be happy to read them and maybe not respond. We're talking about the biggest stories of the week. The biggest story of the week has been the biggest story of the year. No, it's not Donald Trump. It is the coronavirus. People are getting infected. Nationwide, the numbers this week, around 120,000 people infected, 4,300 people killed worldwide. That number will obviously go up. So what do you do? You be careful. You wash your hands. You stay away from people if you're sick. You self-quarantine if you have to. You look out for the older people in your life. The most sensitive age group is people over 65. And if you have any underlying health issues, take precautions. This is something you have to get on top of. We want people to stay healthy. And so do what you can. If you're sick, stay home. Wash your hands. Hand sanitizer. Use those products. Use that Clorox that kills everything. It smells like crap, but it'll keep you alive. Now, obviously, Riggy, first segment, we talked about what Trump's been doing. He's been getting a lot of flack. Talking point from the media seemed to be, oh, Trump wasn't on top of it. On the other hand, Trump issued a you know travel ban against China from the very get-go. The administration has been trying to get on top of it. 
There's nothing the administration can do to prevent people from flying initially or from taking precautions if they're sick. Yet this seems to be a chance for the Democrats to beat up on Trump on something else. As you said a couple weeks ago, first it was Russia collusion. Then it was impeachment. And there would be something else. This is kind of the something else. Yeah, they they absolutely uh, found it. And, and the Democrats are going to keep on pounding on it. What's amazing, I mean, if you listen to Schumer... This guy is is out of his mind. I mean, right now, this country, our country, needs to get along and get together. This is not a time to win points and who can get what in or what out. The Democrats came in with a bill, which was just, you know, a handout to all their organizations and groups, and they wonder why the, the Republicans didn't get on board. We need some serious legislation to make sure that, you know, businesses don't fail, to make sure that hourly workers are taken care of and that they're allowed to stay home sick knowing they can't make any money. We need to figure out some of those things that we have to do. And what we've got is people still going up to politics. Now, for President Trump, his big thing is doing his rallies. The Democrats are just – they can't wait for a rally be able to say somebody got coronavirus. I mean, they're. I mean, you know, they'll send people in with coronavirus. I'm, I'm being facetious, but the point of it is, they just want to say it because that's his big weapon is having these mass groups out there, and this is a way to stop the mass groups. And, and the reason why they're doing this is because on the Democrat side of the aisle, nothing has worked to throw Trump off his game. Everything they've tried on the Hill has failed, and now they're faced with the prospect of having Joe Biden as their presidential candidate. And this last week, we got a taste of what a Joe Biden candidacy and what a Joe Biden presidency would look like. Joe Biden got into it with a factory worker, an auto worker this week, and it was ugly. There was actually uh, Joe Biden yesterday hurling profanities at a construction worker from Detroit who questioned him on his stance about guns. Yeah, so that, that there was actually a better tape. Now, there was another camera that got a better um, shot. Um, basically, this this uh, uh, construction worker saying, listen, you want to get the union vote. We want to get projects out there. We want to have things done, you know, fine. But then you're going to go after our Second Amendment right. And he started talking about, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's a bunch of bull. And he starts swearing. He's shushing people around him. And, and what he doesn't do is stop. I mean, he just should get away from this guy. And he keeps on going on and on and on. And basically, if you go to the website, to Biden's website, Everything this guy said is true. Basically, you want to take away our guns. You want to take away our right to have a gun. My God, everything – they've got pages and pages about how they can stop any guns in the United States and basically get them all confiscated by either a buyback or a federal program. And that's what this uh, uh, construction worker was talking about. And he said, ah, oh, you're full of it. You're full of it. But you know what's amazing? The media doesn't even talk about it. I mean, you can't imagine Trump or anybody, a Republican, saying this where they wouldn't say how disrespectful he was and everything else. What they come back with is, oh, look at that. Isn't that great? Joe shows some pep. Yeah, but this is going to come back to bite them because, you know, if people think back to what happened when Obama was running and he had that interaction with Joe the plumber. Yep. And the idea was, you know, what are you doing about the economy and health care? That came to haunt Obama because it came to be seen as a symbol of Democratic leadership, Democrat nominee, being out of touch with a core group of Americans. Now, what's interesting is this guy was later interviewed on Fox and Friends. Here's a little bit of his interview. Uh, well, I asked him how he was going to be helping get us work, us, us union workers work mm -hmm. in the future. Uh, we seem to be doing fine at the moment. 
Um, but there's always room for improvement, and I wanted to give him the opportunity to show us where that improvement could come from. And he. And I also asked him. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Uh, I also asked him uh, how he wanted to get the vote of the working man when a lot of us wield arms. We we, we bear arms, and we like to do that. And if he wants to give us work and take our guns, I don't see how he's going to get the same vote. Yeah, so first of all, the economy, coronavirus or not, the construction trade is doing extremely well. There's a lot of work out there. So as a voter, that part's taken care of. Now the part you care about as that voter is you're going to take away my gun. You're going to bring in Beto to be in charge of you know, the gun registry program. I don't think so. So he just loses all those votes. It's almost you know you talked about the uh, the time with Joe the plumber. It's the same thing with uh, with Warren when uh, a, a dad goes up to her and says, "Wait a second, you're going to go wipe out all debt? Yeah, student loan debt. Student loan debt. When when our neighbors were going on vacations, buying new cars, and had all the debt, we were saving up the money to pay for our kids' college. And now you're going to say I'm an idiot because I paid my bills and, and we didn't take on any debt. Everybody went on vacation and bought a brand new car. It's okay. You start losing middle America." who just says, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So if the economy's good and I got a job, but one guy's going to take away your right to bear arms and, and right to have whatever you want without having to go through the paperwork, let's face it, people in California who, who have a gun know the rules and the, the hoops you have to jump through. And I can't, you can't pick up the gun for 15 days, and if you miss it by 20 days, you've got to re-sign up all over again. And it's just a real pain in the butt. The rest of the country doesn't have to do this, and the rest of our country doesn't want to do this. And Biden, even arguing with this guy, made a big mistake because what it also did is it drew people to Biden's page on his website. If you can get to the page, everything, every page is a donate, donate, donate. But once you get past it, you ask them, they got pages and pages on what they're going to do to stop you from having a gun. Yeah, now big picture, where is this race going? Well, on Tuesday, Biden won the primaries in Michigan, Missouri, and Mississippi. Michigan was the big prize. Uh, you know, uh, Bernie won North Dakota. Not many delegates there. He's hoping to win Washington State. And Bernie said he's not going to drop out, but he can't win. Andrew Yang endorsed Biden. And so the question is, where is this race going? Well, one thing, two things are certain. Number one, they're both going to hate on Trump. They're going to attack him over the coronavirus. But Biden is the gift that keeps on giving because he's walking foot and mouth disease. I mean, he's going to be the presumptive nominee. But I think the reason why Obama has not endorsed him is because he knows Biden's not that bright. And he's been around too long. and He's going to keep sticking his foot in his mouth. But yet he's going to be the guy. Yeah, the key word that they keep on using is he has a cognitive issue. <laughs> And what that says is uh, – what was the meme I saw the day? You know, Biden puts the, the Dem in dementia. Right. I mean this – you know, this is a sad thing. He's, he's an older gentleman. He's got an issue over here. We shouldn't make fun of it. I'm not trying to. But you can't have a person with this issue – you know, we have we have doctors look at people, see if they're healthy. You can't have a person with this issue say, let's just have him be the guy with the, the suitcase with the button. Yep. When we come back on the weekend answer, coronavirus here in Southern California, then an update on Prop 13. Don't go anywhere. We are coming right back.
right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, glad you're with us. This is The Weekend Answer. We're talking about coronavirus, talking about what it means for us here in Southern California. And, Riggy, this last week, a lot of the news was cancellations. We had Stagecoach being pushed. That's the big country music festival. We had Coachella. That's being pushed. You know, there's that other concert they called Old Cella, which is like the older acts. I'm sure that's going to be pushed back. Uh, Indian Wells Tennis Tournament, huge tournament out in La Quinta. They actually canceled it rather than rescheduling it. Um, that had annual visit visitors rather of about 500,000 people, two-week tournament. Very cool. I've actually been out there. You actually have a place out there. And the yep. thing we're talking about is – you know, the, the, your heart goes out to the people who work at these events, the yes. hourly people who this is a big part of their yearly income. These are major events. This is going to be a big hit for the economies of, you know, not just California, but around the country. And so the question is, what do you do to help out those people? I mean, Larry Ellison, who owns the Indian Wells Tennis Tournament, he's one of the founders of Oracle. He's fine. No one worries about him. Right. But for people who have rental properties out there who count on that rental income from these events, this is a really big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the desert area is going to take a hit. There's no doubt about it. Uh, if these major events that come in that are really the backbone of hotel sales, um, uh, restaurant sales, everything else out in the desert aren't going to happen, they're not going to get filled in, then you're going to have people out of business. The people that get hurt the most are people in the service industry. And this is the ones that I'm concerned about. And and this is where, where you know my right-wing uh, conservativeism that kind of shifts. It says this is where we have to, as a society, figure out how are we going to help these people to get through when it, uh, no fault of their own. Hardworking people get up every day to work. There's simply no work. It just gets shut off. If you're a bellman or, or you're you're a, 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 a person cleaning hotel rooms, you know they just don't hire if they have empty hotel rooms. Yeah, I was, or, or if you're a vendor for one of these, a big, vendor for all these com- different events, big events. I mean, and, the, and the things that you buy. And so, you know, how long is this going to last? You know, we're hearing anything from you know two months to, to four months. But if you're going paycheck to paycheck, that is extremely tough. And let me me say something here. You know, we beat up because we do a lot of political stuff. And so a lot of times I'm I'm beating up on the Democrats. And and I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. But the come from, I think, and I should be clear about it, is that I'm beating up at the the, the leadership of it. You know, most Democrat people that – Democrats that I know, that I know of people are just good – Hardworking, nice, good people. They they they're part of a party that I don't agree with, but most of them don't agree with their own leadership. They just don't understand it. And the same thing with some of the Republicans. They just don't understand what their leadership's about. So when I beat up on them, I'm beating up on more of the leadership than everyday working people out there. And so I think we can come together on the fact that how do we? And this is going to be hard to do. So you make sure that you're not you know subsidizing bad businesses or giving people windfall profits. How do you make sure there's dollars out there to take care of the hourly workers that are going to be hit because of all these events? Yeah, and one of the things that we were want to get into is this idea of Prop 13. This was going to be the $15 billion school bond. And this comes at a time when the California economy has been doing really well. The state government has you know, pretty good budgetary figures this year. Obviously, the long-term pension debt's another story. But in terms of its year-over-year budget, it was doing well. And then comes along the coronavirus. And so the question is, what is the government's role here? And now, as conservatives, there's a very different role between what the state and local government should do versus what the federal government should do. And you never want the government on any level simply rewarding those who back it with ridiculous benefits that are unsustainable or unmerited. But in this kind of environment where there's going to be very real economic impact and economic fallout, there is a role for government. The question is, how do you do it in a smart way that's most targeted and not permanent? Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. And there's a lot of smart people out there that are kind of figuring it out. 
but I imagine it's going to look something like this. Businesses that have massive drops in their revenue because of um, the coronavirus to somehow back support them if, in fact, they back support their employees who aren't working. I don't think the government should be in the position of just helping that company stay afloat if that company's not going to go out there and make sure that their workers stay afloat. And in the end, you know, those, those workers, you know, go shop and they go to stores and restaurants and, you know, it all trickles down. But in the end, you have to have commerce and business. Um, if you stop it, that's why the whole socialist thing doesn't work. The whole socialist thing doesn't work is because you have to grow an economy. You have to add, you know, I, I have a widget. I add some value to that widget. It ha- it's worth more money. It gets passed on to the next step up the, the chain, and we all make money. If people aren't doing things to in- improve the value of that widget, the economy starts going backwards. That's when you have a recession and you start losing jobs. The socialism system doesn't allow you to go ahead and, and improve products or do things. It just says, hey, if things don't work out, we're going to take care of you ever- anyway. In this case, we're going to have to look at some social type of issues here, but how we're going to fund them at the federal government level. Well, and the other thing, too, is who's more agile to deal with this, the government or private sector? I mean, no one right now is coming out and saying we're entirely dependent on the federal government to actually fix the problem. The federal government can create the conditions that create that promote safety. But when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to treatments, when it comes to hand sanitizers and these masks, the government doesn't make any of this stuff. Well, we were at Costco this last week and there was a run on toilet paper and water. And the thing is, who's going to create more of that? It's not the federal government. This shows, I think, the need for private medicine that's more responsive. It's more flexible. You have this whole telemedicine situation, which you can call into if you're sick, which, let's be honest, if you are sick, you might be able to just get on your phone. My wife has done this. You get on FaceTime with a nurse or a doctor. You tell them what their symptoms are. This kind of innovation does not happen in Cuba. This does not happen in Canada. So when Bernie Sanders says, oh, we need to all be Canada, I think we're seeing right now why – and again, this is no knock against the Canadians. This is what kind of system do we want that can respond to these kind of situations? Well, the comments that Bernie always made is the industrialized world spends twice as much as we spend in our country. What, is that a bad thing? I mean, all these vacant beds right now when we've got, you know, the coronavirus going around, vacant beds at a hospital, that's a good thing. We need to have these extra beds out there to make sure that we can take care of people if they get they get really ill. And, uh, you know, right now it looks like most people that get this, 80% of the people that get this don't even know they have it, barely. They may have some sniffles and those kind of things. Um, you know, 1% of them may have a, a, a major issue, and you want to have the hospital beds ready for that, that 1%, and you need to kind of slow this, slow this down, make sure we take care of people's families, you know, financially. Um, but in the end, um, this, this is going to pass, folks. This is going to get over, and it's going to pass. It's just going to take time uh, to get through the system. And once it gets through the system, we'll be fine. We just got to make sure we don't have a lot of carnage between now and the end of this. Yeah, so how do you deal with this? Well, you, you take precautions. If your company will let you work remotely, you work remotely. You take care of yourself. You watch out for your elders. You watch out for your family. And I think the, the moral of the story is if everyone watches out for their own household, then collectively that means we take care of each other and we take care of our communities. And let's be honest, there are going to be changes. So you know, San Francisco and Seattle are trying to impose bans on public gatherings. Uh, I have friends who work at Google. They're basically saying you're working remotely whether you want to or not. You know, other companies are canceling stuff. We've all had work trips canceled. You don't need to go on vacation right now. Um, people are saying don't travel. You know, the cruise industry is going to be really hurt. I guess the question is, Riggy, do you book now for something six months from now and try and get yourself a deal? 
Well, the the, uh, the airlines are smarter than that because I already checked. <laughs> and, <laughs> they knew uh, and you were going to look. What they're doing is is the prices are crashing right now to fill up any seats that they have to be competitive. But if you go and say, tell me what the, the airfare is in August, uh, it's the same. Yeah. Now we come back on the weekend answer. Behind all of the coronavirus noise, the Supreme Court has been hearing some really interesting cases. Blockbuster decision is going to come out next year on a host of hot button issues. We'll tell you about that when we come back on the weekend answer. Welcome back. This is The Weekend Answer, talking about some important Supreme Court issues, some cases being decided. They've granted cert on one important case. And, Riggy, starting out with some contentious decisions involving foreign policy issues, specifically immigration issues, and three things we want to touch on, and they all come down to who is on the court and who is not on the court. And just as a refresher, when Trump came in, The balance of power was 5-4 with the quote-unquote conservatives in the lead, but you had Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was a Reagan appointee, who was very squishy, wobbly. He was the swing justice who swung wildly to the right on some issues, to the left on some issues. Very uncertain. He gets off the bench. In the last couple of years, Trump has appointed Brett Kavanaugh to the bench and Justice Neil Gorsuch. Those were both appellate judges and now Supreme Court justices. And there have been three decisions in the last couple of weeks that have really highlighted the difference that a new court can make specifically when it comes to illegal immigration. The most recent one is this last week. The Supreme Court upheld the administration's policy, which was been, has been called Remain in Mexico. This was an asylum policy, and it basically says that if you want to claim asylum in the United States, you have to actually wait in Mexico, and you can't come into the country and just kill time and basically not show up at your asylum hearing. Now, people say this is mean because you make immigrants wait in bad conditions in Mexico. But, Riggy, this is kind of a common sense thing. You would think if you're going to make an asylum claim, you shouldn't just get to stay in the country permanently because people who are assigned asylum hearings often don't show up for them. Right. And and let's face it. We have people that really have asylum issues. And and you have everybody say, well, you know, I'll just say I need a political asylum. I get to go into the country, then they they, uh, give me some piece of paper, and I just take off after that, and I just go live in the U.S. as long as I want. Meanwhile, I'm filling up the courts. People that have real asylum cases can't be taken care of. So all they're saying is, you know, you're right. You're now in Mexico. Okay, so you came from some other country. You come up to the border. You're now in Mexico. You're safe in Mexico. There's nobody politically going after you. You're not in Nicaragua or some death squad's trying to come after you. And you can just stay there until we get through this issue. The reality of it is is these people didn't have political asylum issues. They really didn't, but they just used that to get themselves into the country. The one thing Trump is very good at is he looks at human nature. How do people do certain things? If you have a system that says you can just call asylum and come to the border and come in, 
done, guess what? We were storming the border. Remember the pictures of hundreds of people on caravans storming the border? You change one little policy, guess what? No more buses. Nobody's storming the border. Nobody's coming down. Now, another thing nobody wants to talk about is we're in the middle of this coronavirus. You know, when they talked about we want to make sure disease doesn't get brought in this country, everybody's called a racist. The reality of it is, do you want people coming into the country? And it's not coronavirus. They have tuberculosis. They have all sorts of things that we don't know about. Is there something wrong that when you come into our country, you get a health check? You do a proper procedure. You don't just storm the border. Again, Trump changed the rules. The Supreme Court agreed. Now, what's the big issue here? It's a 5-4 decision. Yeah, and this is only a temporary decision, allowing the policy to remain in effect until the appeal fully works its way through the court. So the court will hear, hear argument and likely issue a decision next summer or the year after. But the point is the administration is now getting a better, more fair shake at the Supreme Court because it's 5-4. Now, Ruggie, the other one that we want to cover is this one out of Kansas. This deals with what states can do relative to people who are not exactly truthful when it comes to talking about their employment applications and those other issues. This was kind of a big deal because people have often been lying on employment applications and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, This is a situation where, depending on who's in power... You make a different argument, and the Democrats had been saying, well, we don't want the federal government doing anything. We want states to have flexibility. But now we have a situation where they're coming in and saying, nope, we don't want the states to be doing anything, and yet the Supreme Court sides with the Trump administration on this one. Yeah, so what's the issue here? People come to this country illegally, and they make fake documents, and they, they, they steal people's Social Security numbers, or they, they put whatever together, and they get themselves a job. What, what, the, what the state of Kansas was saying was basically, you know what, we want to prosecute people for doing using documents illegally. And what it said was, uh, with, with the, the argument against it was, oh, no, this is a federal issue. You can't get involved. And the state's like, excuse me, federal issue. People are getting jobs in our state that are getting, empl- getting employed. Employers don't know they're here illegally. They go ahead and hire them. It takes away jobs from Americans that want to have those jobs. I mean, it goes through the whole list that, you know, the one thing I've always agreed with, if we're going to have some kind of system in place for who gets a job and who can work here, we got to be fair. You can't allow some companies to hire a bunch of illegals and other companies who follow the rules. All this was saying, the state was saying is, if you lie on an application, we can prosecute you for that. And, uh, and the, the, the groups that were against like, oh, no, it's, it's OK to lie on an application for a job because it's a federal issue. Yeah. And the opponents of this policy were basically saying, well, look, the federal government has the law on this. The state shouldn't be allowed to deal with it. And the question – this comes from Wall Street Journal article. The question was whether such state prosecutions were barred by a provision of federal immigration law – that says any information submitted with federal work authorization forms can't be used for state law enforcement law enforcement purposes. And Justice Sam Alito, who was a Bush appointee, said the answer was no. The mere fact that Kansas law on identity theft overlap with federal law, he said, quote, does not even begin to make a case, end quote, that the state's prosecutorial efforts should be preempted. Now, what does this mean going forward? What this means is... If you lie on a state form or a federal form, the state government, if it has an identity theft law, can go after you under the state identity theft law. Now, Riggy, this seems to be good news if you're someone who stands the risk of having your identity stolen. also means you can't steal someone's identity and get a job with it. Right, right. And, and, and what it also does is that, you know, 
it, when you break laws, you become a criminal. And so that if you want to ever get clean with the U.S. and, and come in here legally, and now they've got you breaking the law, you know, there's some there's some risk on it. I mean, the one thing that you you see in the United States about people that come into this country in here. You know, people that have, you know, good jobs and are well-educated outside the country, they don't want to break the law. They don't want to break any rules. They come to the United States. They make sure they their visa goes a certain thing because they have something to lose. When you have people that just, you know, there's nothing to lose, I really don't care, you've got to make some incentive to say, no, you don't want to break the law in Nebraska because we're, we're just not going to put up with that anymore where you go ahead and steal somebody's identity, cause them all sorts of problems, and your argument is, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm illegally here and I'm allowed to cheat on these things so I can get a job. No, you can't do that. The big thing out of all this is the 5-4 decision. You know, when, when, when Trump ran for president, you know, I was very skeptical, extremely skeptical. And it wasn't until he announced the kind of people that he was going to pick for a judge that all of a sudden I started asking friends of mine who were lawyers and who knew the different judges, are these judges the good judges? And they said, these judges are solid. They are solid. They're like in their you know, late, late uh, 40s. They're bright. They're solid. They know the issues. And that's when myself and many other people said, hey, this Trump guy, unless he's lying to me, he's telling me who's going to put on the Supreme Court. And here's the distinctions, 5-4 decisions. These decisions would have gone the opposite way uh, on the previous case we just talked about. Um, the uh, the asylum people would say, oh, no, I'll tell you what, we're not going to enforce that rule. Um, everybody can come in here until we get through the court system. We'd have a couple of years of people coming in. So um, big, big difference. Yeah. So what does this mean going forward? Well, it means when future contentious cases come up, it might look like there's going to be more sympathetic hearing to the government's position because of Trump's nominees. Now, what this also means is you're going to have these politically charged decisions come out later this summer. And then even whoever wins next time in the fall, they're going to be hamstrung by a Trump court. And so even if Bernie wins, if Bernie wins, there's a good chance that no matter what he tries to implement, the Supreme Court will hear arguments on it. Same thing with Biden. If Biden wins, there will be lawsuits, and eventually those lawsuits will be heard by Trump-appointed judges. I don't think people understand what a legacy this is and what a check this could be on the next Democrat if they win the presidency. Right. The basics is in the end is that – the, 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 a lot of the Democrat policies are just problematic in moving the country forward. It, and, and they're just facts out there. The economy is doing great, not because, oh, it's, you know, it just happens to be a sunny day. The economy is doing great because of the policy the Trump administration put in to take the shackles off. Anybody who's in business can tell you that the catch-22 laws that say, well, you can't do this, and they try to create this product or sell it to this state or do this. There's federal government all over the place, and people who are very smart spend their whole time trying to figure out how to get through all the rules the federal government has. With the Trump administration, said is, hey, health and safety, yeah, we got to watch out for health and safety. But all these other rules that are in place that sometimes are just put in place so your competitor makes sure you can't be in business, they, do, they pass all sorts of rules and regulations so that it hurts your business, you can't compete with them, those are going away, and that's making the economy pick up. Now we come back on the Weekend Answer, going to wrap up the show with some good news. We will be right back.
Hey everyone, welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer. Can tell you about some good news now. No, it doesn't involve coronavirus. At some point, I think we will get to the, the place where there is good news involving coronavirus. Someone will come up with a vaccine. There'll be some radical treatments. There'll be some miraculous stories of people recovering and hopefully helping their communities recover. But for right now, it's not coronavirus. It's other things. And you know, this is this is the hardest part of the show. Let's be honest. It's hard to find good news. Because nobody wants to talk about anything positive. Right. And, and partially that's why we have so much freaking out about coronavirus because it feeds the need for craziness and disaster. Yeah, I mean, the good news of coronavirus is like you stay home. Yeah, you stay home. You work from home. Watch, watch some TV. That could be good. Make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. TV ratings are going to go up, I guess. Yeah, there you go. There, we found some good news. We did, we, we did find some good news. Ricky, get us started here. Yeah, hey, listen. So the Orange County Fire Authority um, did a, a girls' empowerment camp. And basically, um, they did it last year. They did it again this year. There was 61 uh, uh, girls and, and five boys were in the, in the program. And basically, it was a way for the girls to kind of look at the f- whole firefighting business, but to actually raise some self-esteem and, and awareness what they could do. And they had to do a lot of hard things, you know, climb up the different ladder, carry a lot of different weights. Um, and and any time you have a situation where a – especially a profession that's male-dominated – does things to have girls look at it and say, hey, wait a second, I can do this job. Maybe I should look at it. Now, I think firefighters is a pretty tough one because there's so many people that want to be firefighters. The standard is just off the charts. And so it's very hard for women to make that. But, you know, a lot of women could be paramedics and they could do a lot of things like that. And maybe the fire departments will start looking at it differently and saying, hey, maybe you don't have to carry a 300-pound guy over your shoulder up a ladder. Uh, maybe you can just be a, a paramedic. But this is a good thing the Orange County Fire Authority did. Uh, had a lot of these uh, young girls out there learning about the fire authority and what they do, but also you know put them through physical fitness type training things to see you know what could they step up to, what could they do. Yeah, and this is interesting because they had to run up the long hoses or the, the long ladders rather. They learned to use the fire hoses with the high pressure water shot out of it. They use an axe, a sledgehammer. And a loud chainsaw. Now, I don't know about you, but my life doesn't normally involve an axe, a sledgehammer, or a chainsaw. That wouldn't be too bad for an afternoon. That'd be fun. That'd be I mean, blow, blow off some stress. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and you know, to even be around it so that it's not outside your comfort zone to do that. And maybe boys are raised where they, they don't worry about that too much, and, and girls, maybe they don't. So this is just a way to expose them to it and, and look at it. And, again, as a father of, uh, of all girls, I think it's great when any of these male-dominated jobs, you know, look at women for those type of jobs. All right, next good news story comes out of Anaheim talking about the Illumination Foundation. No, not the Illuminati. It's the Illumination Foundation. They have a program called Street to Home. And what this organization did is they bought an eight-bedroom house in Anaheim, giving families a safe place to sleep at night. And it helped a guy named Anthony Garcia, who's a father, get back on his feet, get going again. And the reason why we're covering this is this is, I think, part of the good story that we want to get to of private foundations – Stepping up, making tangible differences that help people get back on their feet and become productive members of their society and take care of their family. Well, when you get into any kind of issues where you're helping individual people, especially get off the street, it's very hard to have a government agency and government employees, you know – solve that problem. You really need the nonprofits to do it. And that's where you see the government come in and put out an RFP to say, here's what we're looking to solve. 
what private organizations, usually nonprofit organizations out there, has the manpower and the staff, and can they put together a program that can help do this? And and it's just, you know, I, I know I complain about time, but you can't have a bunch of people that work eight hours a day with pensions and vacations, you know, solve these kind of issues. You need the nonprofit organizations to do it, and in this case, um, the Street to Home program seemed to do a, a very good job, and hopefully they can continue to take individuals and help their lives. Yeah, now if you want to help them out, go to ifhomeless.org, ifhomeless.org. That was the Illumination Foundation. That's going to do it for us this week. Keep it here all week. Also, stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes, nose, mouth, and throat. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourself clean. We'll catch you next week. See you later.